Well, thank you very much um, for keeping the time during the break. We are now moving on to another format, uh, which is conversations with artists. Uh, and I have the great privilege uh, to open this portion of today's event uh, with a conversation with uh, Shaja Sikandar. And it's always a slightly difficult thing to introduce someone who genuinely needs no introduction. Uh, but just to rehearse a bit of what you already know, uh, Shazia, uh, Pakistan's foremost artist, uh, trained at the National College of Arts in Lahore and at RISD at the Rhode Island School of Design in Rhode Island in the United States, uh, worked with Bashir Ahmed uh, on the miniature, reinvented the miniature, which had been a dead tradition, uh, and was the first woman to teach miniature uh, painting in uh, NCA in Lahore and in, in Pakistan. Uh, she moved to the US uh, as a student uh, where she won the highly prestigious and uh, so-called genius award, the MacArthur Foundation Award. Uh, her work won many prizes. She's, she's showed in many places, the Hirshhorn Gallery, for instance. Uh, her work uh, spans uh, a whole array of genres, uh, starting with painting, of course, uh, but also animation very recently, murals and video. Um, and we hope to see uh, some specimens of each of these genres. Uh, so what I want to do is, it, I'll, I'll begin by, with one comment, and then Shazia will respond while also showing us some of her work. And then I'll have a couple of more, um, and we'll, we'll, we'll modulate in this this way. So, you know, when I first saw Shaja's work, what struck me was that it immediately made me think how interesting it was that colonial rule utterly seems to have utterly destroyed pre-colonial visual regimes, which is to say there is no unbroken school of sculpture or painting uh, that has survived. Uh, as a continuous tradition. Uh, on the other hand, the oral oral forms of artistry seem to have, seem to have survived quite well, whether it's poetry or song, music. And that, that struck me, if I'm correct, it's an intriguing uh, phenomenon. Uh, and it, it says something about the strongly visual character of colonial rule um, that definitely breaks. Um, and so it's only in the visual arts that the problem of recovery becomes thought as such. And that doesn't really seem to be the case in poetry, song, and music, uh, which, however, continue to have a, a kind of dynamic development. It's not like they are static in any way. Uh, so when Shazia began her work, in a way, what I see her as doing is not precisely not continuing a tradition. The tradition had been broken. It didn't exist any longer. And she seems to be fully conscious of this. And if you think about some of her early work, which is in the form of palimpsest, where she's taking tourist miniatures, miniatures that are produced fakes, as it were, for tourists, and painting over them 
as if to show there is no original. It's just layers and layers, turtles, as we say, all the way down. Um, so there's self-consciousness about that, which I find very interesting. Because it, it moves away from the quite tired narrative of originality and derivation, the search for origins or the rejection of origins. Something else seems to be going on here. At the same time, in Pakistan, abstraction, which we take to be a rupture with the past, was being assimilated, quickly assimilated, um, to state-centered and indeed Islamist projects. Islamists love nothing more than abstraction. It's an extraordinary thing. So the very thing which otherwise symbolizes rupture and newness and difference actually ends up being, in a place like Pakistan, the mainstay of conservatism, the establishment, continuity, and Islamism. Um, and so it's something that one doesn't normally consider. But in that sense, Shazia's work, precisely because it focused on images in a very hybrid way, actually was the more dangerous work, in my view. The image is always more dangerous in those societies. Abstraction is not dangerous, um, either intellectually, perhaps, uh, and certainly not politically. Uh, so there seems to be a kind of setting things on their heads that's going on there uh, that I found very interesting. Uh, and of course, this is a very something highly ironic as well. So I wonder if Shaza, you can you can you know take us through some of your early work, the scroll, for instance, you know, to to show us how you play with the visual dimension of the miniature, the new miniature. Hello, everyone. Thank you, Pasal. So um, before I share my work in more detail, I want to give you a sense of what drives me to create. And, you know, because this conference is so much about us all questioning how to move forward on ideas of freedom. So, flux, dislocation of objects, ideas, concepts, forms, how meaning is constantly in a movement, that's always captured my imagination. Historically, the movement of bodies, objects, such as in trade, slavery, migration, colonial occupation has forced meaning to shift and oscillate with every generation. When one thinks in terms of narratives and how history is determined, how real is that account? Our histories are about redactions. Imagination thus, for me, as an artist, is a privilege, taking ownership of the narrative. And thus, for me, art remains a fundamentally political stance. So drawing is a thinking tool, a notational tool, tool, a fundamental language through which I construct a range of works and formats to engage with the world. So when I joined NCA, the National College of Arts in Lahore, it was the 1986 to 1987 session, just, just for dates. I was in an intuitive mode seeking what would speak to me. I gravitated towards miniature painting, an anomaly amid the highly westernized teaching methods, a traditional art form seen then as derivative and cliched, incapable of intellectual rigor. Coming to art from a background of math, I was interested in language and application, not hierarchies. So the scroll was much celebrated 
uh, thesis. It won every possible award. I was on the cover of every newspaper with the then, again, the same prime minister, but it was an interesting moment in terms of that turning point. So it's 1990, 1989 to 90, when I made the scroll. It was, it was a product of an investigative approach to then so-called assumption or understanding of tradition during the four and a half years at NCA as a student. It was a game changer in many ways. It's more than four, five feet, took me a year plus to make to 18 hours a day, abandoning the expected notebook scale and illustrations of traditional rituals like the sun, uh, weddings or kite flying. The scroll explored the impact of youth, the flux of identity, narrative as a moving image, picture plane as an infinite space. I was looking at narrative structures in film, cinema, as well as the use of light in Safavid painting. So early on, I started playing with ideas of center and margin for obvious reasons. The miniatures have these borders. So I was dislocating framing devices to open up narratives of gender, sexuality, and race. Humor, irony, wit, self-critique were incredibly instrumental in creating a dialogue with something that resists translation. So, of course, then, um, one, I, I can't talk about all the work, but I will focus on certain works. So homosexuality, for example, and its very precarious existence within the Punjabi culture of Lahore became a topic, layered further by stylizing my gay protagonist into a Mughal portrait, then layering further with iconographies of gender to punctuate the androgynous within the eroticized space of the miniature. Ismat Chiptai, Kishwar Nahid. They started to converse with my um, readings of Fatima Marnisi, Helen Susu, as I started to manipulate the established forms and pictorial conventions. Susu's idea of female writing or white ink, as in the newly born woman, alongside Pupen Kakkar, then Eva Hesse's, in my interest in Eva Hesse's post-minimalist, soul-injecting female forms, I could trace my own relationship with the very male-dominated miniature painting field. My work started reflecting an evocative engagement with feminism and sexuality. In some of the works, the white ink as a visual metaphor was also a play on the use of white gouache, the opaque or gadrang of miniature. So here in this particular work, which is interesting since we were talking about the um, symbolic idea of the horse, right? So I'm inserting a white line atop a male figure. I was also proposing the androgynous as the self. And um, so it's, uh, it's interesting how this, if you took a magnifying glass and you saw it, the figure of the male is still there. Um, so desexualized figures, androgyny, they, these were like digging into the idea of beauty as monstrous. So this whole series that I did, Monsters to Midgets, was an indirect arrival to the human form by subverting the dead decorative arts in books on Islamic art by infusing their form and physicality with the perceived lurking, menacing vitality. My visual lexicon that sort of started to emerge was a sort of a parallel to the use of text in the work also, which of course captures my imagination because writing is, you know, it's 
inheritability to redact is very important to me, especially in terms of how cultural and political spheres function, but also how the importance of writing in Islam. And visual inspiration, the geometric underpinnings of Arabic script. But not just that, it was also playing with gestures of independence, like the US Constitution, as an authoritative gesture. So I was questioning what happens to authority over time. And time becomes sort of a nemesis. So I think my work is so much about time, as it sort of like functions through all these different spheres. And um, so, so it's interesting that you're asking me to also look, look backward and look at sort of this production. So first things that start to happen is like I'm painting these drawings and they're small, but for me these are heroic works. But I'm also kind of like, I want to look at this history and it's so truncated. So then of course a lot of it exists in institutions that are in the West or in India. And as a Pakistani, it was very hard to even, even when I um, uh, reached out to uh, Nilaman Ghulam Sheikh early on to go do an internship, I couldn't get the visa. So, so that's an interesting idea that we're talking about this intimacy and proximity between India and Pakistan, but, but there is a very separateness. You know, we take for granted mobility that many of us have because we have, a lot of us have citizenships of other countries. So even then, so I had to like just slowly sort of give away this desire to go and take ownership of some of that uh, shared history because there is no proximity, there is no free, unless you're very much part of the very upper middle class with connections that you can get visas. You know, so, so that, that's also a really complex idea of time, because time goes so fast. And, and then, so what, what are these narratives that we are being creating where India-Pakistan artistic situations are like talking about this intimacy? I, I, find, I find it very theatrical. So um, here, so, sort of that's what I try to do, is like take that preciousness and break out of the preciousness and, and in the process also think of inventing forms and um, materiality of paper, it's subjected to take it out of the wasli, you know? Like not obsess and fetishize over, over that, but that, and then at the same time, uh, understand like how do you own tradition? How do you create language? Language doesn't just happen by appropriating certain things and then hiding, you know, calling that your own. Like that type of ownership didn't happen because I was already looking at miniature through, uh, the, through what Bashir shared and through his language, but also through uh, catalogs printed by the West. So there is this indirectness also as one of the many layers. Um, so uh, sort of this starts to happen, though large scale works that I started to do where I am playing with space and disruptions of scale, they become essential in the 1990s in addition to sort of unsettling compositional and iconographical content, the work sort of engages in destabilizing the actual medium itself of drawing. Sorry, could I just interrupt and say that what strikes me at this phase of your work is, you know, what I see Shaja is doing here is literally blowing up the miniature. So she already, you already, sorry to speak about you in the third person, uh, you, you already broke the frames as you showed us in, in, earlier. But now, in a way, you're literally blowing up the form. 
in this extraordinary way because the more monumental they become, look at this, the more monumental, the more translucent, the more evanescent. This is a play of light. Yeah. It's passive. And you can actually literally sneak into it, as I think you do. Uh, but then when you see, yeah. like, when you look at Islamic, this idea of the manuscript, the Islamic yeah. art, the, some of the very beautiful abstract ideas in there, there's a lot, language is about light too. A lot of it is about yeah. abstraction, it's about dream, it's about having dreamt of the Prophet too, as like this idea of sacredness, of purity. So it's, it's all very... But why... You know, this, it, I'm sorry, this is a discomforting comment for me to make, but you've taken the miniature, you've specialized in it, you know all, you know all the as of traditional ways of doing it, how to make the thing, how to make the brush out of squirrel's tails, how to actually paint it, unlike many of you, uh, you know, others who have come after, you print out their miniatures and stick them onto the busly. Um, so you've taken the miniature in this other direction, and yet, in your country of birth, where the neo-miniature has become a flourishing form, I don't really see that happening. I'm not, you know, this might go back to what you were saying about proximity and intimacy and the lack of it. You were talking about India-Pakistan. I entirely agree. But within Pakistan itself, in a way, if I might say so, you're not intimate with the artwork happening in Pakistan at well, the moment. So. Yeah. Their way, of, the new miniature in Pakistan owes it, its existence to you uh, because you are the founding figure of it. But you're doing this to it, it's proceeding along other kinds of lines in which certain things are made important and not others. So if you take uh, someone like Rashid Rana, there's a kind of laboriousness. He takes the labor intensive character of the miniature, of the old miniature, and it comes out in these. Uh, uh, you know, obsessive photographs, miniatures, but of course it depends upon a sweatshop, I imagine, uh, you know, an Asian sweatshop of workers, like, uh, you know, Indian and Pakistani couturiers who put embroidery on everything because they have workers who are there to do it, you know. So there's a laboriousness, but no interruption of the form. Or you have Saira Vaseem who has this kind of quite flattened, in my view, insipid, uh, ways of thinking about the miniature. You need not comment. These are my comments. I haven't taken responsibility. You did, you created a rupture here. <laughs> I was like, I'm like going to talk about my work. <laughs> I'm just, I just wanted to, you know, as you're going through your work, yeah. to say something about the loss of intimacy with Pakistan. I'll talk about the loss of intimacy with the art world. <laughs> it's interesting because I think when I first come on the scene, there's a whole list of like people wanting to buy those miniatures. So I get punished because that's not what I want to do. I don't want to sit there and make the miniatures. Plus, it, I make them myself, except for one uh, group of works that I did called the Extraordinary Realities, where I did um, add collage on six drawings which were found in Houston. So I was playing on other issues of um, those Indian sort of markets in within the US. Um, so that, that's what happened. I, uh, I'm, I don't want to be, um, I don't want labor as value 
for what I was doing. That's what was being seen. This is early 90s. So there's a whole kind of essentialization that's also bound to happen because the larger, broader topics are on identity. So no matter what you did, you were straight-jacketed. But it was not that, oh, you were catering to the West by doing miniature. That narrative is incorrect, which has often come out of Pakistan. That narrative is untrue, because I was already celebrated. I brought so much attention to miniature painting in Pakistan, which is why I was invited to teach right away with Bashir. But Bashir was also instrumental in creating sort of that rupture, because he, when I first gravitate to him, I'm interested in him as a personality, as somebody from a lower middle class, um, income class from Pakistan, who who is who's kind of juggling all these um, um, gatekeeping that happens, as we all know. So it's not something I'm talking that is difficult to absorb, but like gatekeeping happens in South Asia by a certain elite. We still have a feudal culture. So, so then you see that dynamic, and I'm like, oh, this is so interesting, because Bashir, when there, when there, whenever there's a foreign entity, you take them and say, oh, this is our culture. But then whenever that entity disappeared, you could just be dismissive of it. So I, I was kind of curious and questioning that, but I was also very young. So I am already, like, I'm like less, I'm 18 or less. So it's not like, you know, so it's intuitive digging too. And I think um, um, that then the six years in Pakistan making and putting a thesis out and then teaching there and signaling to other students that they could also um, see the viability in it and then taking it at an international stage and then creating a lot more ruptures where you start to bring the language to a global, not global, like a more international space. So to how to create relevance to the idiom. A lot of it is happening because of the interface of, of artistic desire, intuition, creativity. You know, I'm, I'm a curious individual. I want to learn. I want to like move in the world and absorb and make mistakes. So in fact, um, so much, uh, uh, I have, I can't move this. All right. So, uh, so much of the early works that I did were written about by many critics that I, I was not, I was brave enough to experiment in public, because I started doing these works which were not, which were opposite of what I had been getting given attention for. So, uh, a, a lot of this for me um, creates really interesting. Um, um, situations of engaging with the other uh, uh, other artists, bringing different types of languages into the miniature. For example, uh, some of these works where, you know, I'm juxtaposing uh, Langston Hughes with, uh, uh, with rap, with Nas, Nas, with Nasser Jones. I'm exploring the storytelling from a variety of vantage points, not just uh, painting, but, um, but hip hop also. So, and then New York a place of integration, turmoil, which is still coming to terms with its underrepresentative narratives, including its African-American histories. That then, of course, the earlier works with uh, Project Row Houses and Rick Lowe, those are all happening in 94. It's like 20 years later, MacArthur recognizes him in 2015 to give him the Genius Grant. So then the interesting other thing is in 1999, New York Times 
invited me to reflect on a topic that could be a turning point in the next century. So I, my response was the many faces of Islam, where I was looking at the interface of American foreign policy in Islamic countries and how the complexity of political foe and friends and the role reversals that is bound to happen because that's the history of Pakistan's entire history within, with, with America. So that would occupy that would occupy the imagination. And that work was part of imagining the millennium by living artists, and it came to be regarded, this work, as a prescient work in the wake of September 11th. So uh, this kind of interest in, in language and how you're thinking with the environment that you're part of. So in 2001, that's when I start exploring movement through video and animation, but it's all born from my drawings. So that action and dialogue allows a story to emerge in lifetime. And that is interesting to me, that what is, how can you insert your physical experience into the work? And also, you know, when you look at miniature paintings, how they are attributed. Like so many of the artists didn't even exist. They are attributed to, uh, to um, fake names. Some, some of the artists stick uh, some of the miniature painters didn't even exist. So this idea of ownership, attribution, is, is, is the provenance, you know? So in that sense, yes, storytelling and history. Um, so then I start working, um, you know, like the digital work is a natural progression from the murals and installation done throughout the 90s. So now I'm experimenting with scale, with kinetic painting. Because when I look at Bezard, I see it's full of compressed motion. It's already in motion. Some of the forms are lyrical, if they are not very visually attractive to me, but there is lyricism and um, a intelligent uh, construction of form and color and proximity of, of all that which is right on the surface, placid but about to burst. So that's what I'm thinking when I'm thinking at miniatures that they are already, they have answers in there. So I experiment with scale, uh, then scores. Scoring becomes important, performance of that. The autonomy of the other. So the, uh, the composer that I've been working with for like the last um, 10 years just won the Pulitzer. So there is this, in, excitement that the partnerships are long and they are not like I've, this is my work here make a score for it i've brought people in and created languages also and it all of this is very hard to function in the commercial world because i'm not creating objects that can be sold in the way that the pressure is there for artists, right? So that there is this very kind of difficult path because you're in the art world, you're an artist. If you, I've not had a gallery for many years. If you don't have a gallery in New York, then how much invisibility you have. So all of these things earlier on when we were having that other discussion, I thought it was very interesting because there's so, so many, many layers. There's no, not just one interpretation. So parallax, happens and it's, uh, it embodies power, conflict, omission, loss, maritime trade, oil, oil gouache functions, functions as oil in the piece itself. But you know, Parallax gets realized in, a, in an abandoned cinema that I encountered one of my 
a visit to UAE while I was driving and the caretaker is from Pakistan who came to build the space in 1976 as a laborer. So this is his love, his life, his actual existence, his visa is connected to this particular building. So then he's as, as the sole survivor, Cyprus despite, you know, um, mm -hmm. uh, despite its freedom is held captive. Mm -hmm. Uh, to the garden is a phrase from Khaleb. And so the care caretaker becomes the protagonist. And I imagine um, uh, Parallax through that encounter and worked with poets to come to develop seven, to develop six, six um, um, particular poems which address geographical, emotional cartographies, how possession, ownership, rule, battles can take place in both concrete physical locations, as well as the elusive terrain of memory and minds. And then moving forward from there, velocity, magnitude, direction, they all become essential aspects in creating time. And so the single unit of that female hair silhouette suddenly has tremendous possibilities. It's singular, representational, but when produced and choreographed in millions as moving images, which through scientific code writing, because my background is in math also, is like how that particle systems uh, have uh, suddenly they descend in Times Square and they also have, they have, they have multiple, um, um, they could be spheres, swarms, birds, bats, insects, but that's not what I'm after. For me, the kinetic thrust is important, the enormous energy charge at the interface, because with that undulating movement, you know, you can like, it can, the difference is there. I'm not changing the identity of the particle. I just want to, uh, uh, for those who don't know. Here so is an example. Yes, the, the hair of the gopi figures. But, but uh, also is, I feel yeah. like if, it's not necessarily just gopi, right? No, it it's the be, representation yes. of the female within a certain stylized, but it gets often talked about as gopi again, yeah. because you have to talk yeah. about the Muslim Hindu thing. Yeah. So anyway, then um, the mirage, <laughs> the, the visionary night journey, and the accession of the prophet Muhammad is one of Islam's very mystical themes. So my interest stems from, of course, childhood familiarity, but also as a metaphor, mirage, as for the emotional trust necessary in seeking artistic truth. So this is a portrait that I did, the por uh, portrait of the artist series, which will, which is now in the collection of um, the National Portrait Galleries. So it is, it becomes interesting because here I'm thinking the crystallized representations, right, of the historical works, which of course, as you know, were censored recently in my book. So the artist, artist portraits function as vessels through which history can pass. And then I take this whole idea of the ecstasy as sublime, heart as vector, and the mosaic scroll becomes horizontal experience. The horizontal experience, the cinematic idea of a very West cinematic idea is upside down and it becomes, it's about monumentality. And here I'm, um, this, that was part of the um, language of, uh, economies and you know I'll just sort of like end very soon here because I wanted to show how some of the protagonists function so uh, East last post East India Company man continues to live on in new ways in the work that I created and it's Adam Smith 
who argues against monopolies using the demise of the East India Company as a case study, but we are still caught in the same old patterns. So he is now, his lofty ideas grow wings, but he's fluttering in the economics <laughs> building. So it is, it is permanently installed in the economics building um, at Princeton. And um, uh, just last week, I, uh, I installed this work at the Aga Khan Museum in Toronto. And um, this is Nusrati's poem in Masnavi. And the reference to Sufi enlightenment, Hindu devotional bhakti functions as a very interesting connective tissue because it carries the theme of strife and struggle for truth. But I'm looking also at Dakkan, right? So Dakkan is an interesting idea to look at because it's about the poem, but it's also the Muslim elite in South Central Asia, a North Indian Hindu love story recast as a Sufi tale for an Islamic court. So when, um, when Philadelphia Museum asked me to create this work, they wanted to bring this manuscript out of their storage. And they were like, how do we find an audience for it? How do we give it life, right? So then that's the interesting idea. Now the museums are, are also interested in how to archive the, uh, this kind of um, I, uh, things there. But then it was, so I, I questioned, like, well, um, how did it get there? What was the provenance? How did it end up at the PMA? Like, how, who translated the text? And who commissioned it? Who wrote it? Who's saying this is the story? Don't tell me this is the story. Because you can't give me a synopsis of 5,000 verses in Dakkan, Urdu, that nobody can translate. So then, you know, it's interesting that how that now, of course, my interpretation is there, but it's in the South Asian art galleries, permanently installed, and uh, from 2nd century BC to present, and I think I'm the only living artists in, in the galleries. So I don't think of me, it's like the art is what has, you know, what has spark, what has life. And that's been a very interesting kind of idea in terms of uh, how some of this history is so alive. And, I, and for me, that's like the detective in me that gets excited. I'll end there. Thank you very much.